Jim and Rodney both sometimes think they're real cute. They lead songs with bass leads right before the sermon. They think it's going to cause me to cut the sermon short. What they don't understand is all that does is make me short-winded and takes me longer to say what it is that I have to say. These past few Sundays, we've been discussing themes that are related to the concepts surrounding spiritual gifts. We talked about the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday we talked about miracles, and more specifically, is it reasonable to believe in miracles? Next Lord's Day we're going to discuss the thought of the idea of speaking in tongues. And this morning we want to think about the concept of divine healing and miracles. These subjects, folks, are vital. And these subjects are timely. They are subjects, though, about which there swirls the fog of confusion. That's the way you say it in a political press conference. The very mention of the word healing stirs the heart of a lot of people in our world this morning. It's a subject that picks the interest of every man or every woman on the top side of God's green earth who's ever been seriously ill. It's a subject that's intriguing to every man or woman who is permanently ill. Everyone who's in that kind of condition that has some kind of chronic physical ailment marvels at the possibility of someday being healed. As a matter of fact, that word or words similar in meaning in other languages have captured the undivided attention of forgotten generations in all millenniums past. Our text this morning comes out of the Gospel according to Matthew. It's chapter 9 and beginning there with verse 20. And behold, a woman that was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years came behind him, and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I'll be made whole. And Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. Beloved, there are at least three different kinds of healing. And all of them are divine. There is healing that is in harmony with the laws of nature. God is the author of nature. God is the author of nature's laws, and no one but an infidel is going to deny that fact. And when God created the heavens and the earth way back as we're told in the book of Genesis, He created the laws of nature to govern both of them. So whatever is accomplished by the working of these laws of nature is accomplished by God. It's simply a result of God's original work in behalf of man. And in that sense of the word... 
all healing is divine healing. If a man has malaria, if a woman has malaria, and they take quinine, and they're healed of that malaria, it's God that healed them. Because God is the one that made the cinchona bark from which the quinine was extracted. If God had not done His part in the first place, man would not have had the medicine by which to be cured. And folks, we ought to thank God for health and the good things just as we do our daily bread. James writes in James chapter 1 and verse 17, it says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And in the model prayer of Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that we are to pray for our daily bread. Another kind of healing is healing by providence, by the providence of God. That's a type of healing where God does not merely leave nature to do the work. But God providentially operates through the laws of nature. And in keeping with these laws, God heals when nature alone would not have succeeded. And in this way, God respects His own natural laws that He has created. And God does not create distrust for His natural laws by setting His natural laws aside. If this were not true, there would be no reason for us to pray for our daily bread. When Jesus instructed us to pray, Surely Jesus meant that prayer was effectual. And surely Jesus meant that prayer would accomplish something. Either that or Jesus authorized a deceptive and meaningless formality for His disciples. As Christians, we can't accept that conclusion. So we have to accept the conclusion that prayer changes things. Way back in the long ago, we alluded to Elijah in our Bible class this morning. Way back in the long ago, nature alone did not answer Elijah's prayer for rain. Nature left alone had permitted the drought to continue in Elijah's day for three and a half years. And the rain that came was not the result of an immediate miracle as far as we can know or tell from the Scriptures. But Elijah prayed for rain. And how did it rain? A cloud came up over the sea. The cloud didn't come up over the desert. It came up over the sea. And the wind brought the cloud over the land, and it rained out of the cloud. If it had rained out of a clear sky, that would have been a miracle. But the cloud came up over the sea, the wind brought the cloud over the land, and the rain came out of the cloud. God operated through the laws of nature. And God honored them as His own arrangement. The prayer of Elijah 
brought the blessing. Nature alone did not do it, and neither was the rain by a miracle or was the rain contrary to nature. God still answers prayer. And God still operates through the machinery of the universe to help His creation and to bless mankind. If we deny that fact, then we're saying God does not answer the prayer for our daily bread. And we're saying that God does not exercise any sort of providential care over His creation. If we deny that God still answers prayer, then God has gone back on His promise and does not give us anything in answer to prayer. Write this down. God has not gone back on His promise, and God still answers prayer. We still need to pray for everything that we believe we need. Daily bread, health, wisdom. We need to pray for all the things we think are for our eternal welfare and our good. We need to pray for those that are sick and expect that God will do something about it. When we pray, the one who is at the controls, that's God, can turn the wheels of the machinery in our direction and answer our prayers. If God does not answer prayer, And if God can't, in answer to prayer, turn the wheels of the machinery in our direction and answer those prayers, there are a lot of times it would be a lot more appropriate to cry than it would be to pray. And if God can't hear our prayers, He wouldn't hear it if we were to start cursing. He wouldn't hear it if we were lying. He wouldn't know about it if we stole something or murdered somebody or did any of those kinds of things either. Because if God can't hear and answer our prayer, He can't do any of the other things either. I think that sometimes we don't realize that God can hear those prayers. And if God can hear our prayers, and God can forgive our sins, which He does, then God can do everything else He's promised to do for His faithful children. Now, sometimes we think God doesn't answer our prayer because we have a predisposition of how we expect those prayers to be answered. We pray and we try to pray and tell God how we want Him to work out everything we're asking Him to do. You know, one of my favorite examples is over in the book of Acts where James has been beheaded, Peter's in prison, and the church meets to pray at John Mark's mother's house to pray for Peter. And then Peter miraculously is released from prison. Now, the thing about it is we, we talk about how, well, those people didn't believe in prayer because they didn't believe Peter was at the door. When Rhoda came and said, Peter's out there. They didn't believe her. 
But you see, we don't even know what they were praying for. You know, given Peter's track record denying Jesus and his vacillation, they may have been praying that Peter would have the strength to stay steadfast to the Lord. But we know that those first century saints believed strongly enough in prayer that when Peter was in prison and was about to be beheaded, they met and they had prayer meeting. And they prayed for him. But we sometimes say, well, God didn't answer my prayer because we have a predisposition of how that prayer is to be answered. I remember when Matt broke his arm. Well, it actually happened twice. But I remember when Matt had his broken arm. And we took him to the emergency room at the hospital. And they set that arm and they put it in a cast. And we prayed for his arm to be healed. And it was. It took three months. Because it was healed within God's laws of nature. But it was healed. It takes nature about a year to take water and produce the juice of a grape. Jesus did the same thing in a moment of time. And that was a miracle. If when we had prayed, Matt's arm would have instantly been healed, that would have been a miracle. But it was healed according to the laws of nature that God has set forth. Just as it takes God's providence and God's nature and God's care, it takes a year to produce juice from one grape for water to produce juice in a grape. So we've got the healing by nature's laws. We've got healing by the providence of God. And we've got healing by miracles. There was such a thing in the first century as miraculous healing. It was healing where God eliminated the time element. God eliminated human remedies and healed many people instantly. It was healing where God set aside nature's laws. Or God suspended those laws and healed someone in a miraculous way. Setting aside, for God to set aside or for God to suspend the known laws of nature is a miracle. You remember the woman in our text? She was healed, it says, and made whole from that hour. If it had taken six months, we might have considered her cure to be providential. That would have been in keeping with the laws of nature. But Jesus Christ suspended the laws of nature, and Jesus healed her instantly. And there are cases in this book where nature would never have brought about the healing that was accomplished by the miracle. 
even if nature had been given years to operate. In Acts chapter 3, there's a man there at the gate, beautiful gate of the temple that's lame. He's been that way for 40 years. Nature would have never healed that man. But Peter and John were going to the temple to pray, and the man was begging alms, and Peter said, Look on us. He said, Silver and gold have I none, such as I have. Give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the man was made whole instantly, and he leaped and shouted and praised God. In John chapter 9, they come upon a man that's blind, been blind from birth. The disciples even said to Jesus, Who sinned? This man or his parents that he's born blind. And Jesus said, that's not the way God operates. But this man that had been born blind, Jesus spit on the ground and he made a mud out of the clay that was in the ground and he told the man to place it on his eyes and go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he did and he was healed. Jesus suspended the laws of nature and brought about instant healing just as he did in John chapter 11 where Lazarus is in the tomb and Lazarus has died. And Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and he comes forth from the grave, still bound by the grave clothes. Those are all cases where nature would have never brought about the healing if nature had even been given years to operate. So you've got healing by the laws of nature, healing by the providential care of God, and you've got healing by miracles. Well, why were those miracles performed? The question comes up, why has God ever performed miracles? Well, the very origin of things, the very origin of this world you and I live in, required a miraculous creation. There had to be a miraculous creation before there could be any laws of nature to operate and through which God Himself could also operate. That's why Genesis says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. That's a miracle. The creation itself was not by nature's laws, such as already existed. Some liberal thinkers want to say, Well, nature is making other men. That's not what nature is all about. This is going to be on the final exam. The blind forces of nature, guided by no intelligence, could not have produced things as they are. Without God, this world as we know it would not have existed. In preaching 102, you're told that the primary function, that if you have to use anybody for an illustration out of the audience, the preacher is always supposed to pick on the song leader. So now let's just suppose I get Rodney and Jim over here, and I say, guys, I need you to help me answer a question. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? And Jim looks over at Rodney and says, man, you've been in the chicken business. You answer this question. And Rodney said, well, the hen came before the egg. Okay. So then it took a miracle to produce a hen without an egg, right, Rodney? No, no, you, you, you had to have a, an egg to have the hen. And so Jim said, well, then Rodney's wrong. It must have been the egg. Well, then it took a miracle to produce an egg without a hen, didn't it? I don't care whether the hen came first or the egg came first, but whichever one of them came first, 
it took a miracle for it to happen. And it was a miracle that was brought about by the God of heaven. To deny God and to deny miracles is nothing short of foolish. That said, the miracles of the first century, the miracles that we read about on the pages of this book, were temporary. And they were never intended to continue. If you had come into this building in 1957, in the fall of the year, and you'd walked in this auditorium, you know what you would have seen? You would have seen scaffolding. Scaffolding that workmen were standing on as they finished these beams and as they put in the ceiling and they put in the, 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 the superstructure of this building. You would have seen scaffolding. But the building's built now. The beams are finished. The roof is on. The ceiling is in. And the scaffolding is no longer needed. Beloved, the same is true of the miracles of the New Testament age. They were the scaffolding being used to prove the truth of what the apostles of Jesus were preaching. But then we have this book now. And now that we have the written record of everything that happened, just like the scaffolding that disappeared when this building was built, those miracles served their purpose. And they were taken away. There are those in our world today who claim that they can perform miracles. There are those in our world that claim they can perform miracles of healing. I want to say as kindly and as lovingly and yet just as emphatically as I know how to say it, beloved, they're frauds. They can no more work miracles of healing today than Simon the sorcerer of Acts chapter 8 could work a miracle. There are more than 30 kinds of modern religious groups today who claim to have the power to perform miracles. And I don't doubt that there are those who are part of these that are honest, sincere, kind, and loving people. But they have leaders that are fraudulent. Have you ever seen any of them on television? after a great national disaster or natural disaster like blizzards that have killed so many people or hurricanes or tornadoes? Why are they not on the scene being filmed by the news crews after a great hurricane or a great tornado healing people, raising those people that have been killed as a result of it? You watch. You have those on TV that will be talking about how they can perform a miracle of healing, but when you have a great natural disaster like a hurricane or a, or a tornado or something of that nature, they're going to be gathering truckloads of supplies to ship somewhere just like everybody else is doing. 
when the National Weather Service issues a blizzard warning or a tornado warning or is tracking the path of a hurricane, if they can perform miracles, why don't they do what Jesus did and just rebuke the storm and say, be still? That's what Jesus did. Better still. I don't understand why these modern-day miracle workers are on television making a plea for you to gather up supplies for them to put in a truck and send to some affected area. Why don't they just show up down there with an Aladdin lunchbox with five loaves of bread and a couple of fish in there and feed everybody? That's what Jesus did. They'll tell you. Well, we can't do that because the people don't have enough faith. Now, let me ask you a question, knowing human nature. When Jesus told that had the apostles tell that multitude of men to sit down on the ground and He started praying over that little boy's lunchbox with five loaves and two fish in it, you think there weren't some skeptics out there in that audience? Levi, do you really believe He's going to be able to pull this one off? Simon, there's no way He can do this. I'm just going to watch the fun. You're going to tell me there wasn't those kind of conversations going on all through those 5,000 people that day? But Jesus did it. If these modern-day charlatans, beloved, if they can perform miracles as some of them claim that they can, why don't they in the name of God go right now this very day? And clear out all the hospitals and cancer wards and schools for the blind that exist in this country of ours and this world. We could have a 60 Minutes news crew following around while they did it. Why haven't they been on the battlefields healing wounded soldiers and restoring lost sight and lost limbs? You want me to believe you can perform a miracle? Then show me. Jesus did it. They can't. Many of these groups that claim to be able to perform miracles even preach and teach conflicting doctrines. Is God... Is God endorsing all of these contradictory doctrines and practices by confirming their word with signs following? In Mark 16, Jesus told the apostles, He said, Go you into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now listen to it. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. After the Lord had spoken to them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, listen to it, and confirming the Word with signs following. 
all of these groups, and some of them are preaching conflicting doctrines, is God confirming these conflicting doctrines by the signs following, as He told the apostles He was going to do? The apostles all preached the same thing. And God confirmed their word with signs following. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about love. He says, and love never fails. Where there be prophecies, they'll fail. Where there be tongues, they'll cease. Where there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now listen to it. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. He informs us the things that were not miraculous. Faith, hope, and love. He informs us those are the things that we're going to abide. I love this excerpt. It's from the book Around Lake Michigan, published in 1980 by Houghton, Houghton, Houghton Mifflin Company. It was written by three ladies, Jean Tomiako, Beverly Barcy, and Ruth Mackelman. They were historians. This is on page 343 of the book Around Lake Michigan. In 1928, the famous faith healer, Amy Simple McPherson, in long white flowing clothes, proclaimed to the residents of Muskegon, Michigan, that she had enough faith to walk on water. With full confidence, she stepped out and fell right in. Unfortunately, the person she had paid to submerge a row of pilings forgot to put them in. Has God changed? Someone raises that question. Well, has God changed? And they proceed to prove that God has not changed. In Hebrews 13, the writer says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed in character and goodness. And Jesus has not changed in nature. But just because God has not changed and Jesus has not changed does not prove that God is still doing everything that He ever did. God is not still making men of the dust of the ground the way He did Adam. He's not still making women by taking, doing rib surgery on a man the way He made Eve. And God is not performing the miracles of healing and raising the dead as He did when the scaffolding of this New Testament was being written. Those miracles were done for one reason. They were done to prove that Christianity was true. They were done to prove and confirm the word of the inspired apostles of Jesus. And those things were done only so long as the apostles lived. In Ephesians chapter 4, I'm going to read verse 8 and then verses 11 through 16. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. And he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, 
that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. By the time the apostles died, beloved, we had this written New Testament. All truth had been revealed. All truth had been confirmed, and those miracles were no longer necessary. The woman in our text was healed by faith. Jesus said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. But she was not healed by faith alone. Faith and faith only do not necessarily mean the same thing. Never in the Bible anywhere did God bless a man because of his faith till that faith had demonstrated itself in proper action. Hebrews 11 gives us a long list of those that were made famous by faith. But in each one of those cases, their faith was expressed by action before a blessing was received. Noah was saved by faith. But before Noah was saved by faith, he had to build an ark as God had directed him to do. The walls of Jericho fell by faith after they were compassed about by the Israelites for seven days. We're saved by faith. But it's after by faith we are baptized into Christ. Here's what Paul would write in Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. For you're all the children of God. How, Paul? By faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.